This podcast is brought to you by GG Poker. GG Poker won huge tournaments and hold the Guinness World Record for the largest prize pool for an online poker tournament. As the world's biggest online poker room, GG Poker are making poker fun again. GG Poker offers exciting game formats and software features that aren't available anywhere else. So why play anywhere else? Plus, if you're new to GG Poker, get £60 free play when you make your first deposit of £10 or more. Players must be 18 plus. Full terms and conditions apply. Please see ggpoker.co.uk for details. BeGambleAware.org. Please play responsibly. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Whether you seek adventure, search for answers, break down barriers, or see the world for what it can be, you're just what we're looking for. CIA is searching for women of all skill sets to join the Directorate of Operations and help protect our nation. Visit cia.gov careers. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm delighted to be joined by Laura Bradburn and Jim Orr for yet another instalment of the Daily Bulletin. Welcome back to the show, Laura and Jim. Hello, good to be here. Yeah, always uh, plenty to discuss because, of course, you haven't been here since Friday last week and um, in the world of Celtic, one week is a long time, isn't it? Um, there's, lots to, there's lots to discuss. Let's get kick-started with the fact that we are in the middle of the January transfer window. So we'll talk a wee bit about that um, straight away. There was a lot of kind of um, gossip and rumour around Shane Duffy. It looked as though uh, maybe people were putting two and two together thinking that Chris Hutton wanted him down to Nottingham Forest. Forest have come out in Sky Sports today and said that they're not interested at this moment in time in Shane Duffy. We know that may not be the case, but it looks as though Shane Duffy 
maybe at Celtic until the end of the season. Even with Shane Duffy in there, surely we need another centre half. What's your thoughts, Laura? I think definitely from a just from purely from a body's point of view, we definitely need that. Um, I would be reluctant to, you know rush out and get somebody straight away because I think we have a poor track record as far as that's concerned. I don't have any personal information or knowledge of anybody that we've been watching the long term, which concerns me that we might rush out and, and make a panic buy. But certainly, you know, if we were to lose, you know, assuming even if Duffy stays, if he doesn't go to Forrester or wherever else, um, if we were to lose, say, Ayer to an injury or something like that, you're, you're down to talking about El Hamid, who's not been on great form, Welsh, who's got very little experience, and, you know, Beaton, who's a makeshift uh, centre-back at the best of times. So f- from a necessity point of view, we definitely need somebody. Who that is at this point, I, I couldn't really offer a couldn't really offer an answer without without seeing a bit more about what the scouting network is, do, or is able to do in the current circumstances. It's one of these things, Laura. Obviously, um, at Celtic this season, there's been a lot more happening than just the football. And so I had a wee look at some of the transfer targets or some of the transfer transfer targets long term and it would appear to me that some of the guys that we were apparently interested in are getting tied up elsewhere, Mark McKenzie, Alfie Doty um, and all I'm seeing at the moment is kind of paper talk around a couple of strikers and I could barely believe my eyes this morning when there was a suggestion that we might even be interested in Stephen Fletcher I mean surely we don't need another striker under the, the current circumstances I'm looking at the defensive area of the park but you mentioned Stephen Welsh there and I'm going to throw this one back out to, to Jim he's going to be playing I would guess and we'll talk about the game at some point over the next hour I would guess that Stephen Welsh is going to be playing again tomorrow I thought he played pretty well against uh, Hibs on Monday night under the circumstances Jim I think we're kind of resigned to the fact that uh, 10 in a row is gone do we stick with a young guy and give him half a season in the team? Absolutely uh, you said a second ago, Paul, there, that we've been linked with this player, linked with that player, that we're interested in this player, that player. Who is interested in those players? Is that Neil Lennon? Is that Peter Lowell? Who, who is interested in their players? And does it matter at the end of the day? Because it only matters if those two guys are going to be here at the end of the season. And if that's the case, we're in big, big trouble. So I'm finding it really difficult to get enthusiastic about the football. And I listened to you and Kevin last Monday night before the Hibs game. I think Kevin said, well, you know what, I'm just going to try and enjoy the match a few young guys playing and I thought to myself yeah I'm going to do that as well then I'm going to watch the match and try and enjoy it see after five minutes it was death by a thousand cuts I <laughs> think how have we got here how have we got here and I think it's really, really difficult to get enthusiastic about the football side of things until we sort the other stuff the other stuff has to be sorted young Welsh I thought played really well I thought the team did okay but that's that's where we are just now where we mm-hmm. are just now is that uh, I actually owe someone an apology from Twitter last week because uh, you asked Laura and I, how do you think we would do over the month of January? And I said, I don't think we'll lose any points. And somebody tweeted that I was very uh, disrespectful, I was shockingly disrespectful to Livingston because they were on a great run, etc., etc. And I responded to that and said, well, given the size of the clubs, given the resources there, you would expect Celtic to win against Livingston. But as you said, a week's a long time in football. I don't expect us to win tomorrow. I think it would be really tough. We might, you know, if we're lucky, we may get a draw. We may just sneak it 1-0 or 2-1. This is where we are just now. 
and we have to change, and we have to change as soon as possible, because I'm just getting scunnered, that's, that's, that's the word. And last week I said, I thought we were in limbo, and this week we're in a much, much worse place in limbo, whatever that's called. Cumberland, as the pound shop clock would say, you know, so, I don't know, I was a bit scunnered. Well, you know, when we're looking at uh, some of the, the situations that we've faced this season and um, Livingston now, yeah, they're on good form, but at no point in the past would I ever expect Celtic fans to be going into a game like tomorrow against Livingston at home with any kind of trepidation. And it's not a lack of respect. I just, I would expect kind of Celtic to be able to overcome that challenge. They are in great form. But we're going into 13 players down um, due to the latest uh, coronavirus issues. We've also got the long-term injury, of course, of James, James A. Forrest. So I'm, I'm the same as yourself. I'm going into that uh, tomorrow, Jim, and I'm thinking, well, we, the, the guys that started the game, I still believe every one of them deserve to start again. Um, I don't think it would be wise to make loads of changes to that side. I know some people were kind of um, suggesting that Luca Connell deserved a, a, a shot, <laughs> as if it's something that gets passed around a Celtic jersey, you know. Um, but, and but, I look at that. But that's where we are. That's where we are. We're talking about those types of players to come in. I, I think we're going into the game tomorrow. We have nobody up front, and we have a defence that loses goals all the time. Mm. So why would you be confident? Where's the evidence to say we should be confident about that? It's just, it's just shocking where we are. Yeah, it is. And invariably, no matter how much you try and focus on the football, invariably, Jim, if I ask you a question, it's uh, depending on who's in charge of the football, coaching, managerial side of things, and who is going to be making executive decisions. So it leads you into that area. And obviously, um, although there has been an apology made on Wednesday, and Colin spoke yesterday with JP about that, and it's two days ago, I've not had your view on it, I've not had Laura's view on that. So it is a, it is a subject that we're going to be covering as well, because that, you know, it's a big picture that we're now looking at, Jim. People are looking at odds for a new Celtic manager. I was looking at some of the odds this morning, the names, the Familiar names, actually, uh, that we see time and time again. Martin O'Neill is still being quoted. Jack Ross, Roy Keane, Eddie Howe's in there. Um, of of the four, you, you look at that. I think Eddie Howe has been a fairly uh, popular name over the last few weeks. We're talking about a new manager. We still have Neil Lennon in place. There was rumours kind of rife on social media last night that Neil Lennon, uh, there might have been an announcement today. I'm pretty sure it was just, you know, rumours and gossip. Um, yeah, I don't, there, was a, there was a, what I now believe to be a false tweet, uh, tweet doing the rounds from, uh, purporting to be from a Stephen McGowan, a well-known journalist, who has come out and said it wasn't him that said it. Uh, something to the effect that, you know, there's been an about turn by Dermot Desmond and, and Lennon's out in his ear and Eddie Howe's ready to come in that just to anybody out there that might have seen that my understanding is that that has since been debunked by the man himself that that wasn't a genuine story and, and hasn't been a decision that's been made to anybody's knowledge yet well, that leads us on to that subject, Laura, because we're all guessing. We're clutching at straws. People are taking in the fake um, parody accounts or even screenshots, etc. Now, yesterday, uh, whether people agree or disagree, I spoke to Sky Sports about the situation. And to be honest with you, I can't remember exactly the footage that was used, but that conversation took a lot longer than what you see on the screen. Of course, it's, it's edited down. But one thing I did say was that Celtic fans want more answers because we don't yet know what the results of this review are. 
and we need to know um, you know, an update on that because we're all kind of guessing. A few weeks ago we said, is that the update? This story that was you know, running a, a tabloid newspaper. Then people start going on to JP Taylor's page on Twitter and asking JP and you know, he's limited to what he can say as well. So we're all in the kind of dark and I did raise that. The other thing again I would have questioned why Julian was on the trip. These kind of things, I'm not sure if it was used or not. So I'm going to come back to you, Jim, in relation to the situation we find ourselves in. Are we any further forward in terms of getting an answer? What is Celtic's uh, state of play in terms of the management at the moment? Uh, Lawrence has even suggested that Neil Lennon will be here beyond uh, this summer. What's your take on that situation as we are? That wouldn't surprise me. I think if you saw the interview with the chief executive the other day, uh, it was it was shocking. It was completely a lack of self awareness. You know, mm. an in-house interview questions, but uh, knowing and uh, ahead of the game, uh, it was known what the what the answers were going to be. Uh, I think that most people picked up as they talked about our club has been affected more than anyone else. Just kind of and that's just wound everyone else up. So that's that's the kind of nonsense. That's, that's coming out of that man's mouth. And he talked about uh, looking at the outcome, it was a mistake. So if the outcome was different, you wouldn't have got an apology. No. It was the outcome, it wasn't what he did. And at no point did he say, you know what, we were idiots here. We were complete and utter fools here. Because he's never going to say that. And I've said that before to yourself, Paul, but you'd mm. love to have the man on. And that's, he won't come on. And if he does come on, that's the kind of nonsense you'll get. Complete and utter lack of self awareness. Because you know, I was one of the Celtic blogs I was looking at yesterday, which I think is really quite a, quite a good blog. They've got lack of self awareness as well. As well, they come out with something like, uh, "Well, it was easy to know on the 14th of January we shouldn't have done this." A ten-year-old kid could have told you back in November we shouldn't have done this. You know, anyone who works in, in, in a working environment would know something called a risk assessment. Mm. <clears throat> and if you know what a risk assessment is, is if you're going to do something that's a bit different, because usually. Uh, works and organisations do the same thing all the time but sometimes they do something different a new client or buying something a new supplier or taking kids on a trip or something like that and do a risk assessment very very basic thing let's look at the risks that might happen if things go wrong and can we handle those risks and if we can't handle those risks can we do something to reduce those risks or mitigate those risks so somebody looked at that and said you know what if we have a player having to self-isolate can we cope with that risk and somebody said, yes, we can cope with that. What if it's 10 players? Oh, yeah, we can cope with that. What about the damage, the reputational damage? Oh, yeah, we can cope with that. So somebody's made that decision. Mm. One the, the chief executive. And I said last week, and what we were talking about last week was some photographs. We spoke about some photographs, and I said they shouldn't have went, and whoever decided that it should go should be sacked. I said that last Friday, before 13 players were having to isolate and you know what? I think he's a very lucky man because I think he's been let off lightly. Mm-hmm. Because this season has been, as I said earlier, death by a thousand cuts. Every week, no, bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff. And we're all scunnered and we all think the league is lost. But what about this for an idea? What about this? What if he'd have won at Ibrox? What if he'd have won two or three dozen at Ibrox, played them off the park? And all of a sudden, we're all up. We're all enthusiastic and we go to Dubai and we come back and 13 players have to self-isolate and we draw points to Hibs you know if you think you had a hard time then just think about that we managed to get things back and you know given some sort of chance and then we blow it by going to Dubai it was the most ridiculous decision 
most of that was decision. I think I think to pick up on what Jim's saying as well is I, I've seen a lot of criticism of the Peter Lowell apology for for multiple reasons. The like you said the the comment about it affecting. Uh, other clubs are, are affecting us more than other clubs is nonsense because there are clubs who will not survive this pandemic. We will survive this pandemic. So by default, whether you want to talk about case numbers or whatever, uh, we can't claim that it's affected us more than any other club. Uh, we also can't use it as a, an excuse for the poor season because we've got a team across the city who are sitting 20 odd points ahead of us in the same circumstances. So, um, but to pick up on what you said, Jim's the first person that I've heard uh, mention something that annoyed me. Like Everybody talked about the first 30 seconds of Lobo's apology being good. I thought he went off the rails straight from the start with that comment. Looking back on the outcome, we now realise it was a mistake. That is like saying uh, you, you only think a tackle is bad in a game if you break the player's leg. A bad tackle is a bad tackle, regardless of whether you injure the player or not. It's about the risk involved with the tackle that you make. With the trip, it was about the risk involved in, in us taking them there. Had we had we not been 22 points behind, had we not had any COVID cases off the back of it, I still wouldn't have agreed with us going on that trip. So to, say, to come out and say that the regret or the mistake is is apparent because of the outcome mm. uh, is is it, it just makes absolutely no sense um another thing that kind of bugged me was uh, jerry mcculloch asked a question and framed it in uh, the phraseology of uh people are almost questioning the values of the club mm. Nobody was almost questioning the values of the club. We were questioning the values of the club. For him to say that the criticism was unfair and uh, that we didn't compromise the values of the club with going on the trip is is utter, utter nonsense. You know, we're, in a, we're sitting in a situation where there's not even enough joined up thinking to think, do you know what? We, uh, we could have saved those hundreds of thousands of pounds and paid our under-18 players and not had to use the government furlough scheme. You know what I mean? There's a there, there's a, a domino effect that that results from a situation like this um, that goes far beyond just whether we are affected on the pitch. There's just a, a, a the phrase um, "bad optics" is used a lot in, in PR terms and stuff like that. And from at the very minimum, it looks bad, but I think morally, it's it's reprehensible. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. 
Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I mean, we've gone over all this all, all before, but I think what I found from Lobo's situation was he was coming out and apologising because he thought it would save him something in the long term. He was not coming out and apologising because he thought, or certainly the con- I should say the content of the apology didn't make me think he's reflected on it and thinks they were wrong. That's a great point because you brought up the fact that it was a very costly trip, some estimate got a quarter of a million pounds, if not more. And although the situation with the under-18s team is that they can't play or train and they've used a a system that's been set up, I I take your point, Laura, um, because looking at the the values of the club, one of which is fair play, is that fair play in the greater scheme of things? Would we not be better have saved that money and paid it out of our own pocket? I would say yes. The other one, of course, is respect. So when you're coming away with this has affected Celtic more than anyone else. Has it affected Celtic more than Kelty Hearts or Brora Rangers who were denied promotion or even the chance rather uh, to be promoted or Hearts or Partick Thistle if I'm going to go as fair as I possibly can and say that you know um, has it affected us more than it's affected them because that was down to obviously the pandemic and the, the, the lockdown first time round and of course the clubs as you say right through the pyramid system Laura who won't survive this so the big thing for me was the reputation of the club was already in tatters and I don't think that uh, the output on Wednesday has improved that any. Uh, Jim, I can see you're, you're um, like a coiled spring to come in with a point there. What's your thoughts? No, no, no just, just maybe just to finish this particular part of the conversation is that I also said last week that anything that happens for that decision we deserve, we thoroughly deserve. And what, what, what actually has happened is there's, there's been so much noise last week. People were talking about Scottish government, yeah, don't like us. They're against us. This wouldn't have happened. This all the all the noise that happened from that to try and excuse what we did. We made a bad decision, and the chief executive just should have, should have kept it short and sweet. You know, if, if you get something wrong, just say, look, we got that wrong, and we'll learn more lessons and we'll move on. Once he kept talking, he just thought, shut up, just shut up. You're making us worse. You're embarrassing yourself. It's like that. Uh, what's the guy that does the thing about? He's in the next room. Is that Michael Spicer? Yeah, yeah. He's saying, shut up. For God's sake, shut up. And I've got the foundation. Shut up. Shut up. (laughs) And it's a world-class facility. Shut up. Just shut up. Mm -hmm. You made a ridiculous mistake and you should resign. And you haven't resigned. Therefore, we're still in the position that we're in just now. And you've got a manager who's made a complete pig's ear this year. And... And the chief executive has played his part, and we've talked about that in the past, about things that he has done, how he has interfered. So losing the 10, hey-ho, that's just the way it goes sometimes. But we know who's to blame, and we know the two people that are to blame. And and for anybody anybody who believes that this has just uh, been made a bigger issue by other clubs in Scotland and by the Scottish government and by, by Scottish society, if you were on Twitter, I think it was last night, you'll have seen Spartak Moscow. Uh, arrived in Dubai for their own training camp. I think mm. uh, Colin and JP were talking about it yesterday and made a comment, you know, any advice Celtic? If if the Twitter admin team at Spartak Moscow who are on the other side of Europe are making jokes at our expense, you can bet your bottom dollar there are other clubs and other fans all across Europe and all across the world who are looking at the situation and, and thinking the exact same thing. Now, I don't know what position from which Spartak Moscow think they have a 
an ability to make jokes about it considering they're doing the exact same thing you know we'll see what happens to them in a few weeks time but um but it, it certainly spread throughout the world and and what i would want to say is i know that we're coming on here talking about the same subject the same issue the same sort of negativity that's around the club when i joined this podcast in december I wanted nothing more. I want nothing more than to be able to come on here and talk about Celtic, talk about the football, talk about the team winning on the pitch. If I had been on this podcast during the treble treble time, that is what we would have been talking about. The top and bottom of the matter is we can't talk about those things because we are we are experiencing issues that go far beyond that and that are probably bigger than just football matches at the moment. That is why that is the focus of our comments at the moment. That is the focus of our con- conversation as much as it might not. You know, it's not enjoyable for me to sit and say this about the club constantly, but that is that is the fact of the matter and you can't sit and, and pretend that it's otherwise. Yeah, no, I'll, 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 just echo, I'll just echo Laura's sentiments there because when you asked me to come on three months ago, you're saying this will be a laugh. This will be a good laugh. And you're thinking that's not a good laugh. It's, not, it's depressing. It's not Sorry, Jim. Fully <laughs> you know, false promises. Well, it's also the fact that I mean, we were chatting beforehand about I think you've come under I mean, some of the stuff that people have heard about yourself, extremely unfair. And I saw the tweet this morning and somebody said, get behind the club. I love when people say these things because then you say, what does that mean? What does get behind the club mean? Because you know what? He didn't say get behind the team. He said get behind the club. Now, the club to me is a public limited company. So what did the club think of me, think of Laura, think of yourself? It's money. So am I getting behind the club? Have I bought a season ticket? Tick that box. Do I subscribe to Celtic TV? Tick that box. Have I bought some merchandise? Tick that box. And the thing is, I never get a hamper. Right. I'm not hamper worthy. I am not hamper worthy. Now, Jim, N- Natasha said she would give you the oat cakes, Jim. <laughs> Where do we want hampers? Where do we want them next Christmas? I never get hamper. I am not hamper worthy. That's what they think of me. Right. I saw today on Twitter. You'll be getting coal in your sack next Christmas, Jim. You'll be getting coal in your sack. No, it's okay because I saw today on Twitter. We've now got a Lisbon chocolate bar. So I'm going to buy the Lisbon line chocolate bars as well. So I will get behind my club. So the person who tweeted that. You might even be doing something just now on the comments thing. But tell us what you mean by that. Tell us what you mean by that. Because if I started to talk about me, do you want me to go out every night and clap, you know, at seven minutes past six, eight minutes past eight, the quadruple treble, what's that, four minutes past three? I'll go out the road and clap. What do you want me to do? Tell me what you want me to do, and we'll do it. Right? Tell us what you want. But don't say things like get behind the club, because I've got no idea what that means. I've got no idea what that means. Because I'd love to, as, as Laura said there, be sitting here thinking, if we were 21 points clear, we'd be excitedly looking forward to the game tomorrow against Livingston. Who are we going to play up front? Maybe we should give Lee and Eddie a rest because they've scored 40 goals between them this season. And isn't he playing well? Isn't he playing well? What about the European, the Europa League last 32 game we're looking forward to? Love to do that. But where we are just now is we're a laughing stock of a club, as Laura just said there. There's people responsible for that, and they're not doing anything about that, and no one's telling us what's happening. And that's why we're in a, we're in a place that's less than limbo. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Listen, if you believe in alternate timelines, Jim, there is a timeline in which we are sitting discussing that very thing. So yeah. keep keep that in mind. <laughs> it's not the one we're in. I thought you were going to say keep the faith there, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
to take to take your point on there, Jim. Um, yes, and, and I was saying this to Laura before we came on uh, because a Celtic state of mind was set up some time ago, three and a half years ago. We have discussed a lot of the the great times over the last three and a half years. Of course, we have. But another point I would make is we haven't been blindly. You know, going along thinking everything was was a garden uh, of roses because when you look at some of the things Kevin Graham has said and was criticised for saying, you know, round about the uh, the more successful times during that three and a half years, you know, it, what he was saying was right back then. But it's difficult for people to realise, Jim, when things are going well, that you want to to raise the recruitment issue or the, why did Brennan Rodgers leave or we shouldn't appoint Neil Lennon. These are all things that Kevin Graham has spoken about. Um, you know, And we have discussed Resolution 12. We have discussed these issues that are very important to a great number of people during successful times. We're now at a point where I'm not going to say we're not going through successful times. This is a moment in time and what will happen from this point is that Celtic will rebuild. So we're going to be here every single step of that, that way. But in terms of the criticism, Jim, I expect it. And as I said to Laura before, um, I don't, you know, quote tweets so that people can pile in. What I hope to do is to identify that two, a lot of the times the people who are giving me flack is that their way of thinking can sometimes be, um, you know, the minority view. And I've had my views changed by speaking to the, the, the guests on here, by looking at some of the comments coming through, and that is healthy debate because people can actually influence the way that you think about a situation. So, and, I, and to, to jump on Jim's point as well, is when people say back the club, what do they mean? For me... Being a Celtic supporter is not about praising every single decision that's made regardless of what the decision is. To me, the core of being a Celtic supporter is wanting Celtic to win, wanting the best for the club, wanting the club to progress and get better. If that means saying when they do something wrong so that they maybe change their minds and do something right, then to me that is being a supporter. It is not sitting clapping every decision because you think that that is the way in which you should respond. I'm not saying that anybody should or shouldn't do that if that is the way they want to support the club. But don't come out and criticise other people for the way they support the club. As my granddad used to say, you don't have to wear the colours to be a supporter. You can support in any way that you see fit. If you call yourself a Celtic supporter, you are a Celtic supporter, as long as you're not bringing disrepute on the club's name, which I don't think anybody is doing by by stating that they don't agree with some of the actions that are being taken. Uh, you're right, and you know, <clears throat> talking about the club being a laughing stock of European football, I, so, I said those immortal words and came in for a lot of criticism and thought to myself, was that harsh? And then about a few days later, that tweet comes out from another European football team, which shows that in actual fact, at this moment in time, we probably are. But we should be setting a standard as Celtic Football Club uh, because, you know, we may not be at this moment in time an elite football club uh, in European football, but we are an elite football club within our own domestic game and we should be setting the standards, you know. And I think that goes back also to the point you made, Laura, about the trip itself, the cost of that trip. Not even with the other story that broke around the furlough scheme um, to the under-18s, but just in, in you know, the, the fan who spends five, six hundred quid on a ticket, who buys Celtic TV, like Jim says, who buys the merch, who's really, really really struggling at this moment in time 
to see such a lavish uh, use of their funds that they've invested in the club. I mean, how many season tickets is 300 grand? So I just think that... that you, you know, we've heard all the cliches um, and reading the room and all. I just think that they've really—it was bad, bad judgment. It was a bad, bad call, and I'm convinced that the person who would have had the final say in that would have been Peter Lowell, uh, for any number of reasons. Uh, and yeah, it's great that he came out and apologised, but for me, it was too contrived. The, the words were hollow. It could have been for me as well. If I really want to to dig in on this one, it could have just been the first stage of the charm offensive. You know, with the season ticket renewals coming up and the next part of that I would guess would be a change in manager but I, I don't expect that to happen between now and the end of the season based on views that I've heard on this podcast by the comments section so I'm now of the, the way of thinking Jim that we do have a new CEO in the in the wings waiting in the wings and they will want to be part of a new structure at the club and the recruitment process and the recruitment of a new manager do you think that's something that the club might already be embroiled in th- that level of change I think the structure is fundamental to, to everything and it does my head in when I hear uh, some of the names that we're linked with again you know, Eddie Howes and Roy Keynes and all sorts of it's just, just lazy just lazy there's thousands of managers, assistant managers and coaches all over Europe. If you're a chief executive, your, your finger should be on the pulse. You should know who you want to go after. But fundamentally, it's the structure. Do we want another manager or a director of football? What do we want? And I actually thought, if you go back to 97, 98, when we dropped Brown and Wim Janssen, it was a shame that they didn't get on. You know, if you managed to get a job Brown and Wim Janssen and they got on at the time, you know, uh, we'd have done quite well those seasons following that season as well mm. no Martin O'Neill no John Barnes no that stuff. so I kind of like that structure because I think it's very important to know what people do and they're very strict lines of their roles and responsibilities and that's why we've failed because Peter Lowell tends to kind of go over the lines and gets involved in the football kind of stuff and for me I would like a director of football who deals with transfers and uh, Negotiations with the players, the youth system, and all that stuff, it's not directly involved with the first team. That's the head coach's job. But you want two guys that get on, two guys that have done it before. Go to Holland or Sweden or Germany or wherever. I don't know the answer to this because I'm just a punter. That's all I am. I don't get paid the money they get paid. They should know these people are out there somewhere. So for me, I'm not really fussed about, you know, O'Neill or Jack Ross or Eddie Howe or something that's, to me that's lazy mm-hmm. if you end up with that it's the obvious thing it's like buying players because you played against them we bought Barkas because he played quite well against us we're partly interested in the Swedish guy who played against us for Sparta Pride who was really good it's lazy you know we should be better than that so I think the structure has to be right if you're going to get a new chief executive one assumes it's going to be a good guy or woman a good man or woman. If it's a good man or woman, they'll be in a job just now. So how long does it take them to work their notice? That could be three months, that could be six months. No, he's not going to get a guy tomorrow. That's not going to happen. So the well, I mean, look, at, look at Queen's Park. They've they've shown probably a lot of ambition getting Leanne Dempster in. Yeah. They, she... She had turned the fortunes of Hibs around in a lot of ways. She, you know, you only have to look at the replies under her her leaving statement on Twitter to see what the Hibs fans thought of her. 
Um, I'm sure she'll have success at, at, at bringing Queen's Park onto another level. Now, if Queen's Park can attract the calibre of somebody like Leanne Dempster, surely we can do something similar. Um, and, and as far as structure is concerned, um, I have friends and family members who live over in, in Holland and who are big Ajax fans. I've been to a couple of games. I've, I've, I've read books about the club. Now, they're a bit like us in terms of they play in a, a league that doesn't have great um, sort of standing around Europe. The, the standard of the teams below them is, is, you know, I went to see them play. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Uh, FC Groningen and the opposition was was non-existent, to be honest. They were on a level of, well, I won't, I won't name Scottish teams, but they were on that kind of level. They have developed a system where they have invested in training, they develop players, they, they bring them out, they sell them on for big profits and there is no bitterness there about it. They sell them on with a congratulations on your move, uh, all the best for the future um, and then they go and develop the next one and, and they are happy for that to be the case and every few years they develop a team like the one they had a couple of years ago that got to the semi-final of the Champions League. If we operated like that as a club... I think we need to get away from this thing of being Celtic players at heart and being loyal to Celtic. That That is unfortunately a bygone era. If we could operate more like an Ajax who have a... We do have a, a name to trade on. Uh, develop those players, get them out into the world, develop the next generation, and every few years you'll bring together a team that will get success because you happen to have a certain group there. Um, and I think that's the way we need to operate going forward because... Ajax are, are a big club, but I would argue that they're no bigger than Celtic. Certainly not nowadays anyway. And yet they're able to get play, uh, managers in. Like Frank De Boer obviously has connections to the club, but at the time he was highly thought of um, and he did well with them. Peter Boss, Eric Ten Hag. These are guys that, honestly, if they were our manager, we would be absolutely delighted with it. So wh- wh- what is it stopping us from having a, a structure like that that... You know, we can we can take the club forward in a manner like that. Keep our name, keep our reputation, but maybe just change the focus of what we're doing. You know, when it comes down, the fact that, that if you take what Kevin said last week about we should uh, all the success in spite of who's in charge, and if you had the people in charge, you just said they'll just think who that maybe done in Europe. Because again, we've been a laughing stock on the pitch in Europe, another way off the pitch in Europe. So there's all that kind of stuff. To me, that's, that's, that's not lazy. That's like doing what you should be doing. And that's why if you get a chief executive getting paid a lot of money, that's what they should be doing. You know, the first time that we hired Neil Lennon, 
that was lazy. You know, really, really lazy. The second time it happened, that was really lazy. You know, and the old, the old uh, saying that if you act in haste, repent in leisure, that's what we've been doing, you know, this season. Well, we're doing really well up to now, but that's in spite of what's behind. And all the stuff Laura just said there, that's exactly where we should be going. No Eddie Howes, no Roy Keynes, no Martin O'Neill, no none of that stuff. And obviously, it's, there's, 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 there's risks inherent in that, in the same way that the Rangers brought in Paul Le Guin, it kind of went pear-shaped pretty quickly. But if you make... If you, if, you, if you research what you're going to do and you do it on the basis of that and it doesn't work out, then you can, you can put your hands up and say that we did the right thing at the time, it's just not worked out because you know, there's, no, there's no guarantees, it's not work out. But when you make silly decisions and they don't work out, you deserve to go because you stand or fall by decisions that you make. Yeah, and I'm, see- I'm seeing people coming in the comments <coughs> saying you know, that I'm being unreasonable or I'm being unrealistic. That might be the case. We aren't at that level. I'm saying it's something to aim for something to aspire to I'm not saying that we'll necessarily reach it but it would certainly be something to work towards you know, in respect to the, the the bigger picture, as it were, the structure of the club, and sorry, Jim, but we can't see your, your face over this next message from Patrick Murphy, who is commenting on YouTube. For once, I don't want Celtic to bring in more players. The league is over. The majority of support wants the manager out. So why give him any more funds? Priority now should be a new CEO and manager. And that really brings to light... The thing is, with that, Jim, is how many of the players were identified Identified or rubber stamped by the ma- manager anyway and that's a discussion we've had on the podcast quite a few times so if, if a player was to come in in January it would have been going through the same kind of system that it had gone through last January and in the summer which you know yeah there's an input from the manager but they certainly don't have the final say in it uh, contrary to what Gordon Strachan was saying so when we're looking at where we are just now in terms of the structure and where that's going to lead us to Jim used a, a word lazy uh, I used that previously um, when I also called uh, the club uh, arrogant and what I mean by the, pl- the club is just the way that we're going about our business at an executive level laziness yes talking about the two times that Neil Lennon was given a job Jim um, for sure there was applications from elsewhere uh, because it is an attractive proposition to be the manager of this football club people sometimes say that why on earth would anyone you know what they're not going to focus on what's happened this season they're going to look at the the greater aspect of the standing of the club the financial uh, element of it the history the European pedigree in years gone by but also the opportunity to take that club back into the Champions League so there are loads of options available to Celtic every time we come to a point where a new manager um, is to be appointed now I know some of the names that applied for the first uh, the manager's job first time round but this thing and I've said it to you before Jim everybody just took it as read that you know Peter Lowell didn't look at those applications and they're sitting in a drawer somewhere at Celtic Park and Neil Lennon was given that job in the shower. And I just think there was an aloofness to both of those comments. There was an aloofness whereby at that level, because let's not be revisionist here, Peter Lowell is fantastic when it comes to finances at Celtic Football Club. What I'm questioning is, 
all the other parts in terms of the football operation that we've got wrong. And a big part of that is the recruitment, which Peter Lowe has had a big involvement in. So I'm not sitting here saying we're a terribly run club. People keep saying, be careful what you wish for. Absolutely. I would love a scenario where Peter Lowe just stuck to that side of thing, the accountancy, the finance. That would be great. And then you bring in, like Jim suggested before, someone who is a buffer between the football operation and the executive operation. And that would be a director of football. We don't have that. We certainly don't have that. So I, I do feel that, that was, there was an aloofness to that. There's, a, there's then been a suggestion that Celtic are going to appoint a Hollywood manager. I don't want that either. That's not what we need. It's not about profile and box office. It's about being part of a structure that's going to work going forward. And that takes in not just the recruitment. It also takes in the succession planning, which means you've got to focus on the youth. Now, we've seen that this season. At what point have we focused on a clutch of six, seven, eight youth players and given them enough game time throughout a season when we've got players like Callum McGregor playing over 60 games, Scott Brown at his age playing 50, 60 games? At what stage did we start bleeding these youngsters in so that when we came up against Rangers this season in October and we were without a, a centre-half, we could have called on Stephen Welsh who had 20 or 30 games under his belt rather than just the one. That's poor succession planning. So the, the director of football would have all of that. That would be part of their, their job remit. And I think in order to do that, we either replace the CEO or the CEO's position is changed. My biggest fear is that that won't happen due to the person who's in that position just now, Laura, and that person is Peter Lowell, and there's an element of control in everything that is done by Peter Lowell. So do you think it's going to happen or is he going to be replaced? I think that... Uh I listened to Amy on the podcast the other day and she said, why would anybody want the Celtic manager's job? Why would anybody want to come to the club? I think the only reason they wouldn't want to come to the club is potentially because they might see a situation where uh, Lowell has too much input or too much control over what they do. That's the only reason we couldn't attract a top manager. Um because as far as the club's concerned, I, I think we have a reputation that, that speaks for itself. We have an opportunity for them to get regular European football and to, to, to build a legacy with the club. Um, so my preferred option would be, same as most people have said, I would like to see Lennon uh, replaced. Um, I still believe, same as Colin Watt has said, uh, I think Eddie Howe is, is an appropriate sort of level of manager to go for. Would he come in if Lowell operated in the same way that he does? I don't think so, but I don't think you're going to get a particularly good manager if that continues to be the case. A good point coming in from Connell Malin. Difference with Ajax, which is the example you made, Laura. I thought it was a good example. Uh, in Holland, produces brilliant young players. So the Netherlands produces brilliant young players and always has. Scotland doesn't as much. But again, through a Celtic state of mind, but some of the other podcasts and shows that we do on the State of Mind programme. I've had the pleasure of speaking to a lot of kind of youth football coaches around about Scotland and to a man we haven't had any females on yet although I have asked quite a few on so hopefully that will happen to a man they have said that we are producing the talent. We do have players. I would, I would, I would totally agree with that because uh, I was involved in kids football for the best part of 20 years and we've got loads of good kids but we've got a shambles of an organisation called the SAFA that's your issue. We've got good kids. Why, why, why wouldn't we have as good kids as other countries? 
Talk to anyone. I was just about to say that. Talk to anyone who's involved in kids football, and they'll tell you the kids are there, and they will give you a million and one stories about organisations mm-hmm. like the SFA, and these are the guys that are holding things back and the structures and where the kids go to next and all that kind of stuff. There's a problem. We have to start with school football, as far as I'm concerned, because you've got a captive audience in schools. Because football, like a lot of things these days, is quite expensive. And lots of kids, parents can't afford the money to take their kids to football training once a week or buy them kit or whatever. And that's why we have to invest money, in my humble opinion, in school football. Because I was involved in school football. They're there. They're a captive audience. Don't charge them money. Let them play football. Invest in there. That's the future. Off a bit of a tangent here. That's the future. Because I can talk all day about this one. And, and, and the, the other issue is, if your response to any suggestion that somebody makes is just to come up with a reason why you can't do it, so you just don't do it, you're never going to make any progress. You, you have to, you have to say, no, we aren't there. What are the reasons why we aren't there? Can we change those reasons? There's nothing significantly genetically different to my mind between a Dutch child and a Scottish child. So why? Absolutely. So why can't make the difference? That's also what annoys me as well. When people make those kind of comments, well, Holland are better than us, are they? Show me. Where's the evidence of that? There's no evidence of that. Not unless you're involved in this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. As I said, Paul, you could do a whole show, you could do a hundred shows on youth football and get those guys in and get them to tell you exactly why the kids aren't doing as well as they should do once they get to a certain level. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. And, and I think to pick up on Jim's point about school football, I know we're living in a different age and things like that. But there was a I've read a few books, uh, Paul John. You'll know I've read a lot of books about Celtic history and about the Lisbon Lions and, and your book on the Quality Street Gang. The competitive edge that was in these players was built through school football. They wanted to play the team that were just down the road or the team that were in the other that were across the city or Mm -hmm. there was a a system there competitive football was played you were proud to represent your school and you had something to play for that that could only be a good thing going forward if that was to be reintroduced in a meaningful way whether it can be in the current age I don't know but um, but certainly looking back it was a major factor in the success of, of Scottish teams in the 60s and 70s from what I have read looking back Oh yeah. There's no, reason, there's no reason why it can't be done. No reason at all. It's lazy again. It's people don't see the bigger picture. And the clubs are just as guilty. They take a lot of the, the good kids or the better kids away from school football. There's not a lot of school football there. But the kids are really talented. They don't even get to play school football. They're taken mm-hmm. by the clubs. And most of them don't make it. So they're taken away from their pals to go into a, a different grouping and maybe ne- never do anything further than that. As I said, Paul, you could do a whole... 100 shows on kids' football, and you'd have loads of guys coming forward, loads of men and women coming forward to tell you all the stories that are going on with that. Because basically, and that's also the reason why Scotland haven't done as well. Mm-hmm. We've only disqualified for the first two minutes in 22 years. Because kids weren't getting the chance to play football, and then when they did get the chance to play football, the teams are buying foreign players. And that's why Scotland is where we are just now. No, you're right, and it would take a long time to obviously implement the systems that are required and tear up the ones that aren't working as well, Jim. Um, just uh, Ajax comparison is a good one. Andrew Parker coming in to say that. 
I've got to bring this one up from wee Jimmy. Are Stuart Baxter and Gus Hiddink still around? <laughs> because there are names that are always come up when it comes to Celtic. I always remember in the kind of late 80s, early 90s, every time we were looking for a striker, the name Ray Stephen would appear in the newspaper. This is a, an ex-Dundee and Nice striker. And it was always Ray Stephen. He never, ever played for Celtic. And it's just, again, going back to what Jim says, it's lazy, you know. Uh, but what I do like, and again, I'm going to say it, this is my view being influenced by the input of others within this podcast it's not as though we come on Laura and say this is my view and it's not going to change we throw out yeah. opinions we go away we think about it we reflect on it Zinkovics 8754 uh, would love Big King Ranyik, Ralph Ranyik to come in and floor sweep Desmond and Lowell I would just like to pick up on Ralph Ranyuk. If anybody's interested in learning a little bit more about him or reading up on what he's like, there's an excellent book out there called Dash Reboot by uh, Raphael Honigstein. It's about the um, revolution in German football that followed the 5-1 defeat to England back in 2000. Um, uh, there's various figures that have a major part to play in that. Uh, Joe Kim Love, the current national team manager, uh, Jürgen Klinsmann has had a lot to do with it uh, both importing and exporting coaching styles from the US, where he's mostly based. But Ralph Ranyuk has a major part to play in that as well. He was obviously majorly involved in the in the Red Bull um, franchise and, and them getting involved with teams all over Europe. Um, and he would certainly have the kind of forward thinking. Uh, sort of ideas that you would want to, to have at the club to take us forward because everybody's acknowledging these are big grand things that we're talking about these are not things that are going to change things within the next year or two years you're talking about a project something that's going to be a five, ten year project to take us from where we are now to the level that we aspire to be at Yes I and I think maybe look at our expectations in this because a few weeks ago, a few months ago we are talking about maybe getting people like uh, Benitez and Pochettino and Ranić to me is in that category he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a very much in demand man we will not get Ranić because he's, he's, he's just too up there for us uh, we are kind of small country small backwater we are where we are in the football food chain that's, that's where we are Ranić would be an astonishing appointment an unbelievable appointment but we won't get Ranić because other teams will want them big teams will want them Liverpool's and Man U's of this world Chelsea's this world they won't put. They want guys like that. We won't get Randy, but we want somebody who makes sense. As long as it makes sense, off we go. But, but Randy, for, for me, is, is way beyond us. The other thing, the point has been made by Mark. Welcome back to the show. Uh, you're talking to us via our YouTube channel. Ajax have an ethos that is legendary. It will take an era of minimal success for us to reach that level. Someone else comes in to say they've won seven titles in 20 years. That That is something that, you know, if you're going to implement a, a brand new structure, there may be a period uh, whereby you're not dominating the Scottish game. And again, it comes back down to engagement with fans. We need to know what the, the actual strategy is, you know, so that we can buy into it. And this is a big thing now, talking about a strategy or tearing up um, the structure or doing something a little bit different. I've been thinking about managerial appointments in the not-too-distant past. Um, Jim spoke about when we won the league under Vim Janssen. We then appointed Joe Vengloss, and at that time, Fergus McCann believed that he had to appoint a manager that uh, didn't have that association with the club. And in actual fact, his remit um, when we were looking for a manager was that they were not to be a British manager. We had an opportunity to bring in Bobby Robson at one stage uh, around about that era. 
who would have been fantastic, you know, a great, great football manager. Uh, but we had that remit that as set by Fergus McCann, um, having dealt with Lou McCarry and the issues he had with Lou McCarry, and then Tommy Burns with Tommy's emotional attachment to Celtic, which Fergus McCann believed could actually detract from the job. So we appoint Vim Janssen and we follow that up with Joseph Venglos. These were, um, you know, a change in direction for Celtic to do things like that. But what then happened after that was Fergus was gone and his parting words to Alan McDonald, the incoming Alan McDonald, was do not appoint Kenny Dalglish. So what Alan McDonald did was he appointed Kenny Dalglish, but he appointed him um, and this director of football, although that wasn't the title he was given, that was his position of director of football with John Barnes, the rookie manager underneath him. And we know how that went. And in actual fact, our performance in the league this season um, isn't far off the performance in the league at this stage of John Barnes's season. The other thing, the other time I can remember us doing something slightly different, a wee bit more left field, I would suggest, was the appointment of Ronnie Dyla. No association to the club. I'm not going to say he was an unknown because he was an up and coming. Uh, coach in Norway, Man City were interested in getting him involved in the academy but we did something different do you think there will be an element Laura of the Celtic board saying well we've tried things before and it didn't work we should maybe just stick to what we know Um, that seems to be the way that they operate anyway so I don't see that changing without the personnel on the board changing Um, I personally don't really understand in the modern age this obsession with um, getting somebody who knows the club or somebody who's a Celtic supporter or a Celtic fan. As much as it will pain a lot of Celtic fans to hear it, we are, to the majority of world football, another football club. And in a way, we have to kind of start trying to operate that way. We have to just look at, you know, you don't, you don't appoint somebody to manage in Morrison's because it's their favourite supermarket. You know, it's like, you have to look at their their ability and their credentials for doing the job you have to look at whether they could actually take your club regardless of who your club is and what their prior connection to you is and say can that person uh, make make the strides that are required you only have to look at what's happened with Neil Lennon like yes he has had much success some of it's due to the fact he didn't have great competition in his first spell can we honestly say that there's anything in his current managerial record that would have got him the Celtic job had he not previously been a player for the club? My suggestion would be no. And so therefore we have to, if if we were in a situation where we could get a top class manager because he had previously played for us, then fine. We basically did that with Brendan Rodgers. We took advantage of, of his connection to the club and his current situation to get a manager we would never have got. But if, if it's going to have the opposite effect and mean that we appoint somebody that we otherwise wouldn't have appointed and dilute the quality we have just because they know the club, then obviously that's the wrong way to go. We're talking about ambition. It's not really the vision of the club, Paul. It's not really the vision. What's, what's the vision of the club? What's the yep. strategy of the club? Go out there and get the best people you can afford. I don't think we can afford the, the sort of main guys out there. They're getting the silly money. So, so who's... The person that you can afford that fits into the vision and fits into the strategy. Don't 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 overcomplicate things. Keep it dead simple. Here's the vision, here's the strategy. We've identified 30 people who fit that vision, fit that strategy. 20 of them we can't afford. There's these other 10 here. We can afford these guys. Let's go and get them. It's not that complicated. 
No, you're right. And I think one of the biggest criticisms that's come out, um, and a lot of people are saying with hindsight, uh, but you know, Celtic fans were talking about this during the period of domination, Jim, is that the vision uh, that we had at Celtic from the, the executive members uh, at Celtic was as long as we were dominating Scottish football, as long as we were a nose ahead of the competition, be that Aberdeen for several seasons, Motherwell for a wee bit, and of course Rangers when they come back in. So that's where they've been pitching their ambition and their vision. Now, to go back on a point Laura made about Leanne Dempster, let's have a, a quick look at Queen's Park, who they are and what their vision is and where they're pitching that. Now, they're obviously being bankrolled and we know that, but you look at the appointments that they've made, even at managerial level, they were interested in Owen Coyle for the Queen's Park job. They got Ray McKinnon. They've just appointed a CEO who by all you know, accounts done an excellent job at Hibernian and you look at their vision what is their vision well they were an amateur club they're now a professional club their vision isn't it to play in the bottom tier of Scottish football so they're aiming and they have a strategy and they have a plan in place and you sometimes wonder what was their plan was it just to be that you know you know that knows ahead of the opposition domestically because it seems that way now when you're looking at that but people were saying that during these times Kevin Graham who often was called the prophet of doom was saying it when we were winning trebles but uh, fair play to Kevin for being honest in his assertion there because in actual fact he's been right so it's all about having that strategy in place and I agree with you Jim yeah let's make sure that uh, push the envelope as far as you possibly can in all departments to make that that vision a reality Uh, can you see the current setup doing that do we need changes at CEO level we've seen a lot of you know talk about that a lot of it's coming here that's the reason we're not appointing a new manager a new CEO is incoming if we don't appoint a new manager we're going to you know we're going to bring in um, little or no players uh, in this January transfer window the ones we do bring in will probably be loan deals is that why there's there's this you know lack of action at the moment uh, from Celtic I'd be surprised if we bring anyone in. Uh, I think enough players there to get to that second place, and except the fact that maybe at the back we're a bit, we're a bit light. But uh, I just don't see us buying anyone. So, not really buy anyone. Uh, we may get the word of loan, we may recall some of the players we've got in loan. Uh, that should be enough without trying to disrespect the other team. That should be enough to get a second place. We get a second place within the Champions League. But we have to change the structure. It's the structure is the most important thing. And the fact to guess what's going to happen, I think we'll keep the chief executive, I think we'll appoint a director of football and a head coach, and I think there'll be very clear lines drawn between the chief executive and the director of football. I think we'll stay. That's, that's, that's my guess. Well, if, if that's if that's if that's Jim's assertion of, of of the change in structure, then I would say just to back up what I was saying before. Although you're saying we have no chance of getting Ranić. What do we lose by sounding them out? What do we lose by saying... Oh, nothing, this, sorry, nothing, nothing at all, nothing at all. Th- this is our plan for going forward. At, at least push it forward. And you never know, even if he himself says, uh, we, we, uh, it's not an option for me, I'm sure he's got connections in the world to say to some a younger, more inexperienced person, you know, listen, this is not an opportunity I'm interested in, but for you, it's it's fantastic. Why don't you give it a go? And we know that his judgment is good enough that he would suggest somebody else to come in. That, that would be my my way of going forward if you're going to go down the director of football head coach route. 
This is going back to interesting image choice by Sloppy Giuseppe. Um, I remember that picture, uh, actually. There was a big pizza as well, which, you know, shows you the lack of creativity of the journalist around about that time. Wayne Rooney would have had a chance of lifting the World Cup if he was intelligent. He's a typical product of the football culture here and regarded as world class. On that point, Wayne Rooney's just been appointed Derby manager. So that puts to bed any suggestion by Jason Cundy that he would be a good manager for Celtic. Um, but what I would say about Wayne Rooney is that we have had we have seen it uh, we've had it you know um, kind of rammed in our throats for a generation uh, all the you know the greatest league in the world all that kind of stuff we've seen Newcastle we've seen Liverpool we've seen London producing all these great players who play in supposedly the best league in the world they're just down the road so you know there isn't some kind of genetic failure that stops Scotland from producing footballers it's the structure that they are produced into that is failing and that's a shame you know that's a sad indictment when you probably lost a whole or several generations of football players to the structure that we have in place and quite a few of them who are flourishing now Kieran Tierney I mean Arsenal are now saying it's been a steal at £25 million Andy Robertson these are guys who were either freed or almost freed from Celtic you know so yeah the the structure needs looked at John yeah. McGinn is another one. You know, there are plenty of examples over the years, even when the when Scottish football has looked like it's in the doldrums. There's always been a Scottish player never too far from the success. Even going back, okay, Darren Fletcher didn't uh, didn't grow up in the Scottish game, but again, he's a Scottish player who went on to be in one of the most successful sides of, of Ferguson, uh, Alex Ferguson's reign. And you can say what you like about, you know, whether he was one of their best players. He obviously was good enough in the eyes of Alex Ferguson to do a job. And so he's actually proof that it's about the training setup. It's about the surroundings that make the player. Certainly from a genetic standpoint, there's nothing to stop a Scottish player becoming world class. If there was, then we wouldn't have had all the players that we've had over the years. Your Archie Gemmos, Kenny Dalglish, uh, Graham Souness, um, all those players that were at the top of the, the European <coughs> game when they were playing. The conversation's gone right around to the point where we're looking at obviously the youth structure as part of the bigger structure at Celtic. Tomorrow we face Livingston, the on-form side or in-form side in Scottish football. At home, we're going to be playing a lot of the youngsters who we've seen against Hibs. Tell me, Jim, who were you most impressed by from that crop of youngsters that came in? Yeah, I thought Welsh played well. <clears throat> I thought the boy Harper was a bit out of his depth, but I not blame him. Uh, he must have been thinking he was going to watch the game on Celtic TV a few years earlier and all of a sudden he's playing the game up against a very experienced Hibs team and he's, and he's playing at centre-forward. We understand he's not at centre-forward. So I thought he struggled a bit. Uh, Opal Flex looked actually not bad, but he came on. I'd maybe start with him tomorrow. Then uh, barely, it'd be good to see him have a, have a full game to see what he's like because uh, getting these wee 10-15 minute cameos uh, aren't too good. I suppose you know, that is the, the one good thing is maybe a chance to see some of these other players that that we would have a chance to see. Uh, but I think we'll be a tight game tomorrow. Yeah. Good point by JP. Just before I come to you, Laura, uh, Aaron Hickey will be another. I think so, yeah. He seems to have uh, adapted really well since he went over to Italy. Uh, so, Laura, yeah, who were you impressed by? We're hoping that, you know, we'll see them again tomorrow. Will it be a case of, thanks, lads, uh, you know, that should back out the, the first-team squad after that? Yeah, well, I don't know where we're sitting in terms of isolation periods, how long. Uh, I think the, the suggestion was, but I think it was last Wednesday, is that right, that the the isolation period started? So I don't know when those players actually come out of that and when we'll have full 
um, use of those players again, because so, that will obviously dictate uh, the selection process. Um, mm. My daggers are out for Colin Watt as far as Cameron Harper's concerned, because I was expecting big things. I hadn't seen him, but, you know, like like Jim says, it's first appearance and... Uh, and and you know there's a lot of pressure in the circumstances, so so you can understand them maybe not getting off to a flying start. Um, I I would I would like us not to throw the baby out with the bathwater as far as Hibs is concerned. We 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 didn't play brilliant, but um, and certainly I think if we have the opportunity to go back to a more full strength team, depending on isolations, then we should do. But I actually don't know what more we can do in terms of selections possibly you know give somebody like Dembele a shot from the start because mm. he's just something different he's just something exciting that that teams will not be prepared for I think and I, and you know I, I remember looking back I think I said it earlier on in the podcast in a previous appearance we're now talking about the season before last that he made his first team debut and he's basically back to square one as far as that's concerned. And I have not in probably about 10, 15 years since I, I looked at a player and thought I had genuine excitement when he came on the ball. I would love to see Dembele given a shot tomorrow. Whether it will happen, I really i am not sure. Yeah, the, the last point I would make, and it's something that we can maybe discuss uh, tomorrow before the game, uh, there was a leaked uh, document talking about players' wages. Interestingly enough, uh, quoted Ryan Christie's weekly wage at eight grand, which was a figure I gave a few months back. Um, if, the, if that figure is true, then there is issues with the payment structure because that's why a player like Ryan Christie will want to leave. Not just that, we're paying £62,250 a week on three guys who are in on loan and not always playing. So, yeah, there are big issues right through the structure of Celtic Football Club at the moment, and we'll continue to discuss them. And hopefully when we get some uh, good football and uh, performances on the park, we can discuss them as well. So we'll be back tomorrow. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure reading through the comments and speaking to yourself and Jim. So thank you, Jim Moore and Laura Bradburn, for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.